welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 116. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I am so excited to have Emily Ann Peterson join me to share about her book, Bare Naked Bravery. She is a professional musician, a cellist, who developed an essential tremor in 2012, which meant that she could no longer play the instrument that she loved so much. In her book, she shares about her journey of rediscovering her work as a pianist and a singer and what bravery, creativity, and curiosity taught her. A few notes before we get into the interview this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so very glad that you are here. Jumpstart Your Joy is a show that looks at people choosing joy, even when it's the hardest choice they will ever make. If you're new to the show, there's a ton more info on the website, which you can find at jumpstartyourjoy.com, including all 115 past episodes. And there's a free course on my site, which can help you find more joy in your life. You will find that on the homepage at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And when you sign up, then you'll be on my email list and also be alerted to the fun Facebook live events that I'll be doing this year. So be sure and sign up for that free course. And without further ado, I'm just so excited about this interview with Emily Ann. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Emily Ann. Yay, I'm so glad to be here. (laughs) Me too. Oh my goodness. Well, so the first question I ask everyone is, what did you love most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? Oh my gosh. Okay, so... I was telling a friend this earlier this week. She teaches music to a little preschool here in our town. And we, we were laughing about the kinds of music that little kids love. And the um, the song Night on Bald Mountain is, it's just a classical piece, but it sounds pretty creepy. And I remember my mom playing that on the piano and me and my sisters running around the room, like tiptoeing around like little little elves. And then when the scary part of the song would come on, we would like scream out of the room and make, and make mom stop playing the song because it's too scary. But I definitely see, I have a lot of memories of music being those little sparks of joy, even if they were sponsored or like uh, sparked by like being scared of something. It was that like childhood, like, ah, don't scare me. Don't tickle me. That kind of stuff. Um, (laughs) Yes. um, Yes. Yes. No. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So music is definitely one of those that was always and ha- always has been and probably always will be a spark of joy for me. So, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Because it's so interesting as little kids to allow that play with music. I know. I mean, my son does that now. He's seven and, you know, he'll dance around to stuff and, and has ideas about who the biggest rock stars are, which is, is always funny to me. But <laughs> it's so sweet to see that interaction because it does start. It's like embedded in us. Yeah, it really is. And... I think, you know, when as children, we don't always have the words to express our joy Mm -hmm. or express our emotions. And a lot of times when we see 
that in other people or in other pieces of art or rock stars or classical music that kind of scares us in a like a exhilarating kind of way the music it and the art is ends up becoming a way for us to connect with our emotions when we don't have the words to express those ourselves you know mm-hmm. and that stands true for adults who still don't have you know even myself I have I've like I hope I have some emotional intelligence to offer the world but I still you know encounter moments where I'm like God, I feel a little bit weird or like melancholy or something and then I'll see something online or I hear about a story or I'll interview a podcast guest of mine or talk to a community member and I hear the same things that I'm experiencing in their story and that helps me release that emotion. Mm, Yes. Oh yeah. And that's, I mean, for me, I really love musicals, not just like the big Broadway show stuff, but it's funny how often musicals come up on this podcast with people really resonating. I mean, you know, it could be Hamilton. I actually really love Kinky Boots, but like there's something about it that like it tells the story in a way that I verbally could never express. Totally. I really love Rob Bell. I love Mm -hmm. him as an author, as like, I love all of his work that he does. And he was recently saying, talking about grief and how, you know, when you look at other countries and how they grieve, they grieve openly and widely and deeply mm-hmm. and they moan and there's, it's on, it's very public and the U S doesn't have that kind of grief. And yet when people like princess die or Prince or Robin Williams, when they die, even though we don't know those people, we resonate so deeply with their passing. And his point was that it's probably because we have our own grief that we haven't dealt with. And so when we see our nation grieving, it gives us that tiny outlet. And so then a little bit more grief than we were expecting comes out at the passing of someone who we don't know. And that same thing happens with all the emotions. He was just using grief as an example, but. Yeah. Well, and I can see that tying through with then that moment in Kinky Boots where, you know, the guy's singing about how he wishes he had the soul of a man. Of course, pun intended there. Good old Cindy Lauper knows what she's doing. Um, (laughs) But like that he wishes he had the soul of his father and all of us can feel that with him because there's that grief we're going deep early here, aren't we? But like that grief of like, I am not necessarily what my parents expected. Although I have my own gifts, like there's that grieving of what could have been. And I can grieve along with this character, but maybe I didn't even know I missed this thing until this moment. I recently wrote a song for that was inspired by a real story of family member. And when she heard it for the first time, she sent me back, like she called me and said, oh my gosh, this, like, we're, we were both in tears during this conversation, mm-hmm. by the way. We were mm-hmm. both crying, and she said, I had no idea that I had these emotions, and you gave them to me. Like, you mm-hmm. let me find them. And that that is, like, this. that's the real stuff. That's the stuff that, that's the reason why I do what I do. And the reason why I do things in a little bit different kind of way is because I want to make sure that people can find that resonance in themselves with the things that I'm putting out into the world. Mm, Yes. Well, and I think that's the perfect segue. I'm sure the audience has got a few of the pieces together, but would you like to explain what it is that you do now? 
Sure. I'm, well, I'm a singer songwriter. That's my big piece of the puzzle, but I just wrote a book called Bare Naked Bravery, How to Be Creatively Courageous. And it is the result of years of research and conversations via a podcast called Bare Naked Bravery. And this research was triggered by a really tumultuous season. Let's just call it that. Mm, A tumultuous season of my own. It wasn't the end of the world and I knew it in the moment, but I was at one point in 2012, I was a full-time cello teacher and cellist and instrumentalist in the Seattle area. And I had a full corral of students and was really, really loved my job and my work and was feeling really fulfilled by it. But one day I noticed that my hand, my right hand was starting to shake in really inopportune times and I wasn't able to control it. And then the moment that I heard the tremor through my cello was the day that I called my doctor. And she, she held my hand while we went up to the neurologist's office because the tremor looks like Parkinson's. And so she wasn't sure. She said she wanted a neurologist to rule that out. It's not Parkinson's. I actually have an essential tremor. So one essential tremor in my right hand and it's hereditary. So I got it from my mom's side of the family and it's degenerative. So it's going to get worse over time. We don't know how bad it's going to get and we don't know at which pace it's going to like, if it'll tank tomorrow or if it'll be like a long tail till I, you know, till I pass away. So there was this big, massive question mark now in my life. And through the grieving process of trying to let go my own expectations of my life and my living and my relationships and my career and my creativity, I mean, all of that was now like up in the air because I wasn't able to perform or rely on this instrument like I had been previously. So I just had this massive season of grief and reckoning that I came out of realizing I needed to be brave. If I were to go forward and continue to make a change in the world like I want to happen, that I would need to be brave. But I had (laughs) no clue what bravery actually meant. Like Mm, I had read a lot of, you know, Brené Brown stuff and all about vulnerability and all this other stuff. And, but there wasn't like a, what actually is bravery? We talk about it a lot. We are, you know, we see it, we know it when we see it, but what is it and how can we create it if we can? Are we born with it or do we build it? Or like, also all of these questions started coming up for me. Mm-hmm. I got really curious about it and was like, I need to find these answers. I don't even know. Like I had no intention at the beginning to write a book and have a podcast and change <laughs> my entire life down this bravery path. But I just got really curious about bravery. And then one thing led to another. Before I knew it, I was writing a book about it. And then I was researching more. And then I was having conversations. And those conversations turned into a podcast. And that podcast turned into a community. And that so now here we are today. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it so much. I mean, and the piece that is so amazing. I mean, I know I I went through my own season of kind of overwhelming change, the birth of my son, which Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with PTSD after that, because it was that like kind of immense. But 
There was something in that, like what you just said is like, I never knew I would be thrown into this new thing, but that is actually, interestingly, the birth of the podcast as well. Like, is that I chose joy after that. Like I could have chosen any number of things, but I feel like you're saying something so similar that like you didn't know what you needed to do, but you knew enough to like get to the next step. Yeah. How did you find yourself or like where in there was it that you kind of just, maybe the question actually is, was there a moment where you said, I've got to choose something else other than maybe this grief that I see could be on the horizon? Oh, well, I, you know, I don't think, I still have moments of grief. I don't think you choose, I don't think you can choose out of grief. I think that's something that you just have. Um, you can yeah. process through it. You can choose to process it. But like, I still have moments where I'm playing an instrument and my tremor is holding me back. Or I'm performing a house concert. I love house concerts. They're the best. I love them. <laughs> but I'm performing a house concert. And for some reason or another, I get a little bit nervous. And the way the tremor works, because it's neurological, if I get too much adrenaline, which happens naturally when you're on the stage and you have stage fright and all this. So if I get too much adrenaline, then my hand gets way out of control. And so there are those moments where I get like an extra jolt of adrenaline and I have to choose to chill out. <laughs> but it still triggers the moment of like, wow, I didn't used to have this problem <laughs> or wow, this is difficult. And I think that's part of that's, well, and I don't think I know that's part of bravery is acknowledging and being honest about your situation. So yes, you can choose into or like choose to move through the bravery into something else like joy but in order to do that you have to be honest about your current situation like it mm. might not be joyful oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's a very good point it may not and it may not be very joyful for for a time like that oh, might yeah. not be what you're aiming for even if let's say you're going through a divorce and you know for sure that this divorce is not going to be done until like a year maybe or longer. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging that with honesty going, hey, this is going to be a difficult next season. That allows you to make the next choice, which would be how do I want to move through this? That's the choice I think you're probably talking about. But you know, you can't arrive at that choice of how do I want to move through this unless you know what this is. Yes, of course. And then realizing kind of being self-aware enough that you do have so kind of the Randy Pausch of the last lecture of like, you can't control the hand you're dealt, but you can control how you play the hand. Like that moment of realization that I could make some impact around this situation. It doesn't have to go, it could go one way or another and I can impact how that happens. In my book, there are three three main ingredients mm -hmm. in bravery. The first is vulnerability. The second is imagination. And the third is improvisation. And part of improvisation is leaning on that power of choice that even though you have been victimized or even though you have chosen into this really awful situation, you can still choose. You still have choice. You have a choice in, you know, an artist has choice in, they may not have choice in the colors that they're given, but they have choice in the texture, in the way that they use that color. Or a musician may not have a choice in the time signature that they're using, but they have a choice in the tempo or the key signature. If you don't have a choice in one area, you probably do in another. And it's your opportunity to use those other 
outlets to be creative in your bravery. So you may not be able to choose whether you get divorced or not, but you can Mm -hmm. choose that it's not going to be the end of the world. And you can choose how you move through this with your spouse and attorneys and kids and everyone else involved in this. That takes real strength of character to acknowledge your power of choice. And sometimes that also means acknowledging your percentage of fault in a situation, which is also, that's tough. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It is tough. Yeah. Cause it means getting really real and maybe admitting some things that are really hard about yourself in order to move forward. Yeah. And I, please understand, like, I don't, I'm not saying that all victims are at fault for any, for the things that they're going through. I think victimization sucks and it happens, but we still have that choice in how we react to the victimization. So, yeah. Totally with you on that one. Well, and and I love what you've said about vulnerability, creativity, and improvisation. I imagine that those three things were also so key when you decided after the diagnosis of the essential tremor to then go forward with a retreat that you had been planning. Because I love Mm -hmm. that part of your book about what you went into that situation with. I don't know if you want to share a little bit Ah, about that time. Totally. So, I mean, we'll use those three things as an example. So I got this diagnosis. Everything was awful. There were other ramifications of my journey at that moment that meant I actually was living in a friend's guest bedroom. All of my things were in storage. There was so much in up in the air and my environment was just not the way that I had intended things to work out. And so I was already going through that level of like, wow, this is just not fun. <laughs> so that level of honesty was already there. I was already being very vulnerable about my situation. I was very honest about what was at risk and how, and the context of my situation. So that's all part of being vulnerable is honesty, risk, and your context. And then when it comes to imagination during that season, I had already submitted myself to an artist residency. So I was already booked to be out in the mountains for six weeks, supposedly writing cello music. And I got there, I got to this artist's organization and kind of gave them my situation and then asked for permission to not write cello music, but instead write other music. And they, they were like, oh yeah, that's fine. As long as you're writing music, that's what you're here to do. So we're, we're great. And so I actually spent the rest of that six weeks just musically and creatively sulking. So my cello was with me, but it was jammed in the corner. I didn't touch it. That was the longest I had gone without touching that my instrument. And instead I was playing on other instruments and came out of that time with a handful of songs that I actually thought weren't half bad. And what came of that time was, yes, everything's awful and crazy. And I don't know what what my answer of like, what step do I take next would be. But I did have this little bouquet of songs and this truth, this new truth that I was not just a cellist. I was an artist and I had something to say. I didn't know exactly what that thing was that I had to say, but I knew that it was in there and I knew that it was going to get scary if I were to say it out loud, which was how I got curious about bravery. So that's that imagination. Like I went into 
the season of life that's six weeks with this defiant expectation that taking a break from the rest of the world would help give me some answers. There was a defiant expectation that I was going to keep doing music, even though I tell my story to some crowds and the answer or the questions that I get is like, well, why did you keep doing music? Why did you just move on completely to something else? But I had this defiant expectations like, well, why, why wouldn't I do music? I've always done music. Why, why wouldn't I? So I leaned in that direction. And that's part of the improvisation is that when you acknowledge what you want in life and you lean in that direction, you're able to utilize the friction or the other constraints of your environment and use those constraints to help guide you in the direction that you actually should go. Well, and it seems like you're often more likely to be looking for opportunities to say yes. Mm -hmm. I know you outlined some of the benefits of improv and I've done a little improv. So I love that that's like part of the work too, is like looking for the places and the people that support you, but also just saying yes to things like that maybe you wouldn't have said yes to before, but now, Hey, this seems like it's on the right path. So let's go with it and see what happens. Yeah. And those rules of improvisation are from Tina Fey's bossy pants. I love Tina Fey. She's amazing. And I also love improv as well. But as a, as a musical improvisationalist, because I do that when appropriate, of course, <laughs> but as a musical improvisationalist, if you just sit there like a limp doll on stage, not doing anything, not contributing to anything on the stage, you're not improvising. You right. haven't said yes to the experience. So mm-hmm. saying yes is picking up your instrument. Saying yes is adding to the music that you're experiencing. Saying yes is opening up other opportunities for the stage. So that might be inviting someone else on the stage. That might be communicating with your other musicians to, hey, let's speed up the tempo here. And if you're not doing those things, then you're not actually engaging with your environment and with your situation, with your story. And there's that piece too that you're kind of putting in there that Like you're relying and trusting on this troop of people, whether that be musically or in regular kind of comedy improv, that there's a trust that the group is, is what connected and that you guys understand each other. Like there's an un, there's an unstated language amongst that group of people as they are there. Totally. And I think it's important to acknowledge that let's use victimization, for example, Mm -hmm. if you are victimized, you don't have to agree with your situation there is still an opportunity for justice for you. In the musical example of this, it would be, I don't have to agree with the tempo or the key signature of the song, but I can still choose to improvise within the given moment. And perhaps the notes and the ways that I contribute to the stage might encourage everyone else on the stage to come in my direction. And maybe your contribution to the stage at that moment is to provide the very necessary tension. And that's part of standing up and speaking up. You know, if somebody has done you wrong, you have an opportunity to stand up and say, I disagree with you. Mm -hmm. I completely disagree with you. What you just did to me is wrong. I will not allow you to do this. And that's standing up on stage going, we're going to change songs completely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This song is now over. We're going to start a new song. And I love your example of that same kind of thing when you were at, I think it was a conference 
And I like cheered in in my chair as I read this that like the the whole notion of the the what the I'm sorry I'm losing my words here but the <laughs> the workshop there we go oh, the yeah. workshop was that it was that we were gonna get together and explore how music had changed because of new changes in technology and whatnot yeah and it was I like we, um, yeah. I think the title of the panel was something like I forget it. I have an album, now what? And how, like, what do we do now after we've had the album? I mean, I was expecting this panel discussion of like, yay, here are all the options that we have in the world with technology and everything. And what I was faced with was this panel discussion on how the music industry is tanking and no one knows what to do and we're all screwed. And (laughs) and I was just sitting there going, hi, first of all, did not come to this conference to get depressed. And secondly, I disagree. (laughs) I'm so excited about how technology is empowering musicians and artists and everyone. And, you know, like I do a live video on my Facebook profile and maybe one person watches it live. Mm -hmm. But I check back a week later and I see that 500 people have watched it. There is no way without technology that I could have just said, you know what? It's Thursday at 2 p.m. Let's play a song and see who watches. Like, no, there's no way that I could have done that without technology. And so it's empowered us greatly. And I just was sitting there seething about how much I disagreed. (laughs) And I actually then was, my choice was, well, I don't think this is really the place for me to speak up. So I'm just going to leave. Like, and so I leaned over to my friend next to me and I said, okay, I'm going to leave. I'll be out and I'll be outside. Let's go have lunch after this session's over. And she like kind of prodded me. was like, wait, what's up? And I told her and she goes, stay, say that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like was like, oh, okay. <sighs> and raised my hand, said, I disagree. Everyone in the room just kind of turned and looked at me like, wait, what? <laughs> And I explained my reasoning. And before he knew it, like the entire room had changed. Mm -hmm. We had gone from woe is me and full victimization to we don't know what to do. We don't know what what do we do now? What do we do now to, wow, maybe there's, maybe there is something we can do. And I've just, I laugh about that situation because none of those opportunities that we had later on in the week to talk about all of these amazing opportunities that we have in the music industry, none of those conversations would have happened had I not confessed to my friend that I wanted to leave. Yeah. So I didn't lean over to her to go, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> right. I actually was... Like I'm, I laugh about this situation because I started that whole engaged the situation by going, you know, I think I'm going to leave the stage. Like I think as in this improvisational example, I'm just going to walk off the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her encouragement, like her engagement in being brave and asking me to stay and speak up, that is part of being an improvisationalist within your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, like acknowledging who else in your world and your community needs you to be brave, to ask them to stay or to ask them to speak up or to ask them if they need help. So there are so many, so many awesome stories about bravery that communicate how it is just very, it's resonant. It vibrates amongst all of us and it's in the air. 
we can't help it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that there is that tiny moment of bravery where I'm sure it changed for you where you were like, I'm out of here. And then, oh, wait, you're right. There is something to say here. Um, yeah. And, oh, but you know, my, my heart was beating really fast before <laughs> yeah. I was getting called on. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh, what am I going to say? Like in my head, I was thinking, what the hell am I going to say? They're going to call on me and I'm going to, what am I going to say? I had no idea what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. No clue. Um, really <laughs> just like <laughs> open mouth and like words came out. Um, sometimes that works out and sometimes it does not. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but also thinking it might be, I mean, I could see other people in that moment and not really thinking too far in advance, which is probably a good idea. Like, you're never intending to start a movement by just saying, I don't agree with this, but like realizing that once you have the courage and take that first step, then things start to fall into place and that it continues way beyond that initial moment, both of fear, but also of the courage that you had to get past that fear. Exactly. I mean, the words that came out was, I disagree, pause. And then the panel leader was like, "Um, with what? (laughs) And I just said, with everything. And I'm really excited about this. And so there, by just stating your honesty, sometimes people will engage with that honesty again and give you the next step that you need to take. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to have it all figured out. Like I didn't have my full, let, here's my five minute soapbox speech on why everything's amazing in the music industry. I just started with, I disagree. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's all it takes is you just, if you're in a moment to go, I disagree with the way that this is unfolding, or I totally agree with this other person who's saying what I agree with. That's such good stuff. I love that it can start so small and just also be so powerful. Well, I mean, that's the way the bravery works. I mean, often the bravery that we see and the bravery that we like share with our Facebook friends is the big kind, you know, the like, whoa, look at this guy who jumped into a burning building. Isn't that such a brave thing to do? Well, that impulse to jump into a burning building did not start with his legs. It started with his parents as a child teaching him that when someone is in need, you help them out. And that's part of like the small seeds of bravery that we we practice on a daily basis. And if we don't practice them, our greater feats of bravery don't grow or don't have an opportunity to grow. So it's it's our choice, you know, our, our power of choice, back to choice, is that we can opt into nurturing the bravery, even if it's very, 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 very small. We can opt into nurturing that small bravery into something bigger. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and what if there's somebody sitting there going, oh my gosh, Okay, I'm with you, but how? Like, do you have any yeah. thoughts on some baby steps? Um, well, I mean, a lot, of it, a lot of it has to do with being honest um, and expressing yourself. You don't have to be brave um, in front of everyone all at once. Um, if, you, if you look at someone's coming out story, um, then you can see that there's, they come out to themselves and they come out to their friends then they come out to their family and then they come out to the greater public. And that, you know, maybe you're coming out as an actor. (laughs) You, maybe you're coming out as I'm quitting my job 
or maybe you're coming out as I need to get a divorce. (laughs) But all of that starts with you personally acknowledging what your the honesty and the risk involved in your situation. You have to be vulnerable with yourself first. Um, I do recommend a daily practice of writing and meditation and regularly meeting with people who are going for the same things you're going for. Um, and, and leaning on community. Those are really important parts of building your bravery on a daily basis. Mm, Yes. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Writing and meditation both help immensely. Oh yeah. (laughs) Because you can just get it out, especially in writing and toss it. (laughs) And I do a different, I do a different version. I mean, a lot of people have heard of morning pages Mm -hmm. Um, from Julia Cameron's The Artist Way, but I actually go take it one step further and I delete the morning pages or I throw them out after I've done writing them because I don't, I'm not trying, I'm not writing an archive of my daily life. It's not a diary. It's, it's literally just a word vomit of things that are going through my mind. Um, And sometimes releasing all of that gunk is enough to make space for the bravery to grow its next size. But you also have to throw it away. You have to let that stuff go. And letting it go is an act of faith that tomorrow there will still be enough space and enough page for you to write on again. And that faith is so hard, especially if you've been through something that has shaken you to the core. It's so hard to say, yes, I'm going to step up again. I'm going to show up and I'm going to have faith. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going through a season of grief, let's say, let's use that for example. And you're doing this practice of writing a stream of consciousness every day um, and throwing it away. The act of throwing it away might be represent the acknowledgement that tomorrow you're going to have more grief and there will be space for you to grieve there too. Um, in five minutes, there may be enough, you know, there may be enough grief to fill five more pages. Um, but the act of throwing it away and letting it go allows you to create that space for the next stuff that you need to get out. Um, and that's such an important part of creativity and it's such an important part of expression as well. Like if we are expressing ourselves thinking that, that expression is limited and that we only have a certain amount of time. We've got to talk really fast. Blah, 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 blah. Our communication efforts aren't going to be as effective. Um, and internally, what the way that pans out internally is that if you are expressing yourself thinking, well, I have to fit it on two pages and I have to use this specific pen and I can't make any mistakes. And, you know, like that's inhibiting your ability to actually let things out and process the emotions that you need to process. Yeah, because you're putting your own constraints around it that are not necessarily true. Like, it's not true that you only have a limited amount of time, probably. Well, and Mm -hmm. if you do have a limited amount of time, you can set a timer, and then your brain can let go of that fact, Mm -hmm. and you can just write. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, too. constantly checking the time, you know. Mm, I love it. Um, I know that... I mean, one of the near the end of your book, you talk about um, after the season of grief that you you created an, an event where you smashed some pumpkins. I, would you would you share that with the audience? Because I felt like, yeah. oh my goodness, like the beauty and and grief and everything that goes into that is I, I just really it's a beautiful visual, and I can only imagine what you went through living it. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> excuse me the. 
So I am the kind of person that just sometimes I will just jump into things. Mm. Um, it, that specific week that this arrived, I had somebody broke into my studio, kicked down the door, like broke the door jam, kicked down the door and stole my laptop. And this was like on the heels of so many things going wrong. Like just my living in a guest bedroom or, you know, having all my stuff in a storage. A boyfriend had moved across the world and we were now broken up. There was like just, I had friends diagnosed with cancer. It was just a whole storm of awful things. Um, And the laptop getting stolen was just the final straw. Like I just had had it. There's a moment when your grief gets angry and you're just done. I am so done with this thing. Um, So I like cried about it, angry cried about it, and then realized I am so angry. I really just want to smash stuff. And it was October around that time. And so there, you know, the pumpkins were out and I was going to go to a friend's chili cook-off that weekend. And so I called her and I was like, hey, would you mind if we like turned this into, if we had a pumpkin smashing event portion of your chili cook-off? She was like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. So I brought all my pumpkins. We left it as an open invitation to everyone else invited um, to the party so they could bring their own pumpkins. But I was the only one who actually brought pumpkins. And so it ended up turning rather, it it wasn't like a, hey, everyone come smash pumpkins with me. It was more like, hey, everyone watch me smash all these pumpkins. (laughs) So there was that like awkward tension in the in the event in the party that was like, what is happening? <laughs> Why is she doing this performance piece? You know, um, and I was just I didn't care because I was so angry that I just was really excited about smashing these pumpkins with the name of every awful thing that had happened that year on the front. Um, and so I went through and smashed all these pumpkins. Um, it was really hard, and the more pumpkins that we smashed, the the louder the cheers got. And then the very last pumpkin that came up was my the pumpkin that represented my tremor. Mm-hmm. And by this point, I was like my back was tired because I don't know if you smashed like fresh pumpkins before, but it's really hard. No. <laughs> I was I was thinking it'd be like woo, let's smash yeah. the pumpkins, but it was like really violent. You had to use your full body to yeah. smash these guys. Um, yeah, I've only ever taken down a shed. Like, it had already collapsed in our yard, and so we were, like, hitting it with sledgehammers. Well, I which, mean, let's talk about how difficult the act of destruction can be on yourself. Mm, so if you're in a yeah. season of life and you have to destroy stuff, that's hard. That's hard work. Like, if you have to close down a business or a marriage or a friendship, like, that's really hard stuff. That is so, a great, great point. And I, I love that there is that kind of, like, then anything, the destruction of anything, like there's that great representation of tearing down the shred. Sorry, the shed could just be a representation of anything that I had to destroy. Yeah, very good. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, difficult. Man. Well, so we're standing there and i am got the very last pumpkin on the tarp. I'm covered in pumpkin guts. Um, everything is slimy and, you know, there's seeds everywhere. Mm. 
And I take like a couple whacks at this last pumpkin and I hear someone say, essential tremor, what's that? Which was written across the pumpkin. And I just, I couldn't do anymore because it was finally, it like emotionally finally hit me that I, I don't, I had no idea what to do next. Like, and I was tired and I was exhausted and just drained from all of this work with writing new songs and now not having the same job that I had before. And oh, it was, all of it was just awful and tiring. And here I was facing this tiny, this not tiny, but it's like in the grand scheme of things, this large pumpkin. And it represented this tremor that started all of it. And I couldn't take another whack. And that was the moment when one of my friends jumped in and grabbed the bat and said, here, I'll take, the, I'll take it from here. Mm. And I watched him smash the rest of this pumpkin. And it was so viscerally, it melted me. Like I couldn't, I was in tears because I was watching my friend who was so strong and I felt so, so weak that I just couldn't, I, that cop, that contrast in strength versus weakness and witnessing someone else who I care for and who cares for me, who was smashing this thing that represented all of the awful things that had gone on in my life. That was just too much for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I started crying and another friend said, Hey, we've got you you know, pulled me over, let me cry on her, get her all snotty and covered in pumpkin guts. And, <laughs> and, and it was one of those weird, like the pumpkin smashing, like it ended, everyone was like, yay, that's great. We put all the pumpkins in the trash and everything. But there was that sharing that experience together mm-hmm. where there was a crowd witnessing someone taking on my battles, you know, with their strength, even though I was weak, that was so meaningful, yeah. so meaningful. And this didn't make it in the book, but a year later, the friend who hosted the chili cook-off sent me a text of a tiny little pumpkin seed who had sprouted in the ground of her front yard. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's, wow. I think she still has, she, still, she told me the other day that she has a couple more that have popped up recently, but <laughs> it's, you know, like, That's the stuff you can't make. I I didn't intentionally make this story up at all, but it's such a good example of how important community is when we're going through something that's really awful and scary and brave. We need each other. Yeah. Well, and the vulnerability too, that it takes to like put that out there for people, for you to say, here's the things that are hard, but then also to say, yeah, please friend, I can't do anymore. So if, you know, if we're doing this, I need people. Like, there's a vulnerability in that as well. It's yeah. the whole thing is just so. I mean, I, I admittedly, I just kind of teared up and, you know, had a tear streaming down my face as you were saying <laughs> that your friend took the bat and like was was helping you when you were so weak that you just could not do the last one. I mean, oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I, you know, if we go back to this like notion of improvising within your life, um, if somebody steps into your life and says, "Here, I've got this," you have to give them the bat. Like, even if you didn't ask them for help, um, acknowledging that you do need help is giving them the bat and letting them, letting them help and stepping back and (laughs) stepping off the tarp so that they can (laughs) do their job. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, it's it's so important, and it meant so much to me to to share that evening with friends in, in that way, even though it was yeah. weird and everyone was kind of like, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. But I mean, in, in some ways, it was an invitation. I mean, no one else brought a pumpkin, but everyone did participate. I mean, in some way. Yeah, and, exactly. And that's, exactly. You had to set the space for it. It's just amazing. I love Thank you. Thank you for recounting the story here. It's so. Uh. <laughs> I had another friend who, after it was all over and I had like wiped off all the pumpkin gets, I sat down next to him and was like, hey. He goes, hey, remind me not to ever get you angry. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, duly noted. (laughs) (laughs) That is so great. Yeah, I love it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that so much. You're so welcome. Is there anything you would like to add? How can people find your book? I truly enjoyed it and I was really moved by it. So how can people find you before we get into those last two questions? So the best way to find me is on my website, emilyannpeterson.com or go to barenakedbravery.com. That'll take you same, same ish place, same kind mm-hmm. of place. Um, yeah. And I'm on, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, all the, the places that I should be. And the podcast is on all the places that podcasts should be as well. <laughs> and that's called bare naked bravery. Awesome. Thank you. And I will link up to that for everyone in the show notes. And if you go to any of those places, there's an opportunity to get a free bravery bundle, which has a couple songs of mine, the bare naked bravery coloring book, and also a couple bravery worksheets as well. So that is available to download as well. Ooh, wonderful. Thank you. I will put the link to that one too. So the last couple of questions, and I ask everybody these, where have you seen resistance come up in your life and how have you overcome it? Resistance happened the moment that I had to send over my book's manuscript to my formatter um, weeks ago. The resistance happens... When I have a, like I I do, I I meet with clients to talk about bravery in their businesses and, um, and how that shows up in themselves and in their marketing as well. And resistance happens between us because I ask difficult questions. Um, Resistance happens when I get on the stage and I have stage fright. It's all over the place. Yeah. Well, and I feel like so much of your story too is about how do you overcome it? I mean, it's kind of the bare naked bravery is the yeah, answer. Yeah, but it's not, you're not going to overcome it. You get to use it. Mm, yes. Mm. That's the main difference in, I think, a lot of the rest of the world's version of fear is thinking that it's something that you have to overcome. But what I know about fear is that it is friction. And as a musician, I use friction, like I am using friction to make beautiful sounds, sometimes awful sounds, (laughs) but that friction is necessary. Otherwise we wouldn't have the resonance that we do in music. Ooh, that is a good answer. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And last and most joyfully, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? So my go-to answer for this is write every day, express yourself, make sure that you have a method or an outlet for expression in your life that is so, so important. I would also recommend just having some text buddies, like people that you normally just text or call or connect with on a regular basis. And I guess the final version is come hang out 
with me. <laughs> like I would love, I would love you guys to come and hang out with the bare naked bravery community. When you find a group of people who are doing the same things you're doing and are trying to be brave in the world, you in turn get some of their bravery as well. So that's a, and it doesn't have to be my community. It's just any community that is doing what you're going for. Um, jump in there. Mm, I love it. Mm, thank you so much, Emily Ann. It has been such a joy to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Paula. This has been so fun. Emily Ann, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing about your book. If you want to get links to purchase her book and get an amazing bravery bundle, you can do that by signing up before January 28th of 2018. You can head over to the show notes at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 116. And from there, you'll find links to Emily's site and music and her TED Talk as well. If you have enjoyed this interview and you haven't yet subscribed to Jumpstart Your Joy, you can do that. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all of the regular podcasting places. The easiest way to find those locations is right from my own website, which is jumpstartyourjoy.com. When you're on the site, you'll see the word subscribe along the top navigation, and there's a drop down there. When you click on that, select subscribe on iTunes or subscribe on Android, depending on the kind of device that you have. And then it will take you directly to a page where you can either sign up on iTunes or on one of the Android podcasting apps. It also means so much to me if you would leave a review either on iTunes or wherever you subscribe via Android. I love seeing your reviews and I read every last one of them. So thank you in advance for doing that. Next week on the show, I am doing my January 2018 solo cast and it's going to be all about bucket lists. If you really knew me, you would know that I don't think of bucket lists the way most people do, and I'm not a big fan of them. (laughs) What I want to do is help you bring those things that you've had on your bucket list to life. This is a great time of year to look at the things that you really want to accomplish, and I want to help you be mindful about hitting some of those goals. So you might be surprised to find out that I don't really like bucket lists, but I'm going to be sharing what I think is an even better way to keep yourself on track for the next three years. (laughs) So be sure to come back for that. And until then, may your days be filled with so much joy. Mm -hmm.